Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we explore the intersection of work and well-being. I'm your host, Coach Marty, and each episode I interview mental health experts, coaches, and industry insiders to bring you practical insights and tips that will help you build a meaningful, rewarding, and sustainable career. So join me as we explore the path to career satisfaction, one conversation at a time. Today, we sit down with Jenna Kimball, a director of talent acquisition at Densu International, who helps nationwide clients and brands identify talent from entry-level positions through C-level roles in the marketing and media spaces. Jenna is also the author of Interview Like a Pro, which is available on Amazon and helps you stop the self-sabotage in order to get the job you deserve. In this episode, we discuss the recruiter's perspective on the job search, especially when it comes to finding the right role for you, networking with the right people, showing up with the right presence in the interview, and negotiating the right pay. Jenna shares stories of imperfect candidates who still got the job and drops some wisdom on how to reframe your approach so that companies can't wait to hire you. If you like this episode, please leave us a review and share it with a friend so we can help more people navigate their way to a better career and enjoy this episode with Jenna Kimball. Before we head into today's conversation, I want to share a call-in question we received from one of you, our listeners. If you would like to call into the show with a question of your own, you can do this by clicking the send in a voice message link that is in each episode's description on iTunes and Spotify. We'll also try to get that into YouTube if we can. Today's question relates to burnout, which was also covered in last week's episode with Dr. Simon, but we're going to go into a few different areas of distinction here. Hi, I just listened to your episode with Sean Grover, and I feel a lot of the topics really resonated with me in my career right now. I feel like I'm in a season coming out of burnout and have been trying to balance and just rearrange my schedule to be more flexible with work and also in my personal life. Um, I have a lot of things going on in my life that I just kind of rely on my past um, passion and commitment for to keep on doing. And so I want to pause here because there's something that stood out to me in the question. The question is asking about burnout and coming out of this season of burnout. And our caller has said that they are relying on passion and commitment for motivation. And this is something that can be pretty dangerous in our career if we're only relying on those things to keep us going. We hear a lot on the internet about how important passion is and how we all need to be fulfilled and passionate in our careers. But what is not talked about as much is just how exhausting being passionate can be. Passion for our work can be a great motivator. It can also lead to fulfillment, but very often it leads to burnout if it's not well balanced. People who are extremely passionate about their work tend to forget other aspects of their life, including their physical and mental health, their relationships, and their personal interests. And as we're seeing with this question, that can lead to exhaustion, stress, and burnout, which again can negatively impact our overall well-being and satisfaction. And as we're seeing, can actually lead to us no longer being passionate about our careers and our jobs. So these people who are very passionate, if you are someone who feels very passionate about your work and really wants to put that time in, we do need to maybe build some skills here, a, a skill of disconnecting or of detaching from your work. 
really finding ways to build those boundaries so that we can turn our brains off and enjoy the leisurely side of life and relax every once in a while. It might be good to take some time off, especially that vacation time that you're forgetting to use, and really think about how your passion and your anxiety might be tied together. We need to make sure that our passion is not being eclipsed by our anxieties. So if you've already got the passion side, maybe it's time to build in some of those boundaries to make sure that you're not getting too wrapped up in your work. Let's hear the next part of their question. Um, I find I, I get the most anxiety with and at work, and I think it's related to the type of work I do. It's not fulfilling uh, intellectually for me. So my question is, how do I navigate a space where I'm coming out of a place of burnout with my current job, but also excited about pursuing a new field and have a brand new passion for that, which I haven't had in a long time, um, but I still have the fear of burning out in even that area. Now, as we hear the end of the question, you can see how these cycles of burnout can lead to a spiral. We're passionate for our job. We put in too much effort. We burn out, leave that job, finally start taking back control of our life, get passionate about the next thing, and then go through the whole spiral all over again. Instead, we need to find alternative motivators for our work. We shouldn't just rely on the one motivator of passion to keep us going. We want to diversify our motivation. So how do we do that? Well, here's a few different ideas of what you can do. The first one, focus more on the benefits of your job. Even if you're not fully passionate about your work, there are other reasons that you do this job. Maybe to have a stable income or good benefits or an opportunity to gain valuable experience. Remind yourself of these benefits and allow those things to motivate you from time to time. Also, remind yourself on how these things contribute to your overall satisfaction in life, not just at work. Maybe the stability allows you to send your kids to school. That's a really good motivator. Our next recommendation here is to set goals for yourself. Setting goals, especially realistic goals that are related to your career and your development, will help you stay on track and keep yourself motivated with small actual milestones. Very often we put big milestones way off into the future and that can lead to burnout because we never feel like we're succeeding. We're always at base camp and never reaching the top of the mountain. So we wanna create small achievable goals that will give you a sense of accomplishment along the way and help keep you motivated. These small goals are also a way to prevent your passion from sending you over the top and off of a cliff when we're setting our goals. Because we're passionate, we might set too big of goals and then burn ourselves out faster. So set smaller goals, put your passion in its proper place and set goals from a rational, not a passionate standpoint. Next, connect with colleagues. Don't let your work be the only reason you go to work. Try and connect with the community of your office. Even if you're remote, it's important to stay involved. So you wanna make sure that you're finding connection at work because that can often sustain us in times of burnout. We can also lean on coworkers if we're having a hard time, ask for help. A lot of times burnout happens because we're isolated and we don't have anyone to reach out to when we need help. And finally, prioritize your well-being. If you're not sleeping well, getting regular exercise, eating well, and doing all of the day-to-day -day maintenance for a good life, well, there's some opportunity to grow there. Again, we wanna go back to this idea of diversifying your life from work 
to play, to personal, to professional. Make sure that you're make sure that you're doing a little bit of everything. You're taking care of all of your identities, not just your work identity. And that will help keep you balanced, not only in the short term as you're trying to find this next job, but in the long term as you get into this new role, into this new career and continue to build your professional future. Again, if you have other questions that you would like us to answer in future episodes, head into the description of the episode and click that link to leave us a message. I love hearing from you and I want to bring more answers to this show that are hyper relevant to what you're going through in your career right now. And with all that being said, let's get back to the episode. All right, Jenna, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm very excited to share with the community some recruiter perspectives as we head into 2023 here. Uh, Really quick before we get into it, I'd love for you to just introduce yourself and give a little bit about your background and, and, you know, what you've been working on recently. Great. Yeah. So I am a recruiter. I work for Dentsu International, which is a big media company. They're global, but I live in Chicago. And then I've been doing recruiting on the in-house side. I've worked on the agency side as well for about seven years. And prior to that, I worked in marketing as a practitioner. So I did marketing first starting out of school, and then I transitioned into recruiting for marketing roles. So I think I have kind of like both sides of it. I've interviewed a ton of places for marketing jobs and recruiting jobs. And then, of course, I've interviewed thousands of people from executive level all the way down to entry level um, I've worked on national searches, retained contingency. I've, yeah, I pretty much run the gamut and I love talking to people and sharing knowledge and learning too. So really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you here. And I think that's really what caught my eye when I saw you give a talk at the American Marketing Association is that, you know, I also come from the marketing and advertising world and now I'm in the career space and, you know, everything that you were talking about in terms of the recruiter's perspective and how to market yourself and position yourself and sell yourself to the recruiters in a way. Um, that's all the stuff that I want to dig into today. Cause I think there's, there is this sort of odd tone that I get from people whenever we start talking about working with recruiters where they go, oh, well, I've had this bad experience with a recruiter in the past. Right. And so today I want to maybe address some of those things also sure. show the recruiter's perspective on it. And then also say like, well, what, what are you doing as a job seeker? That's creating these negative experiences, right? We got to own both sides of it um, because there Definitely. are amazing recruiters out there like yourself. And we, you know, these folks want to be able to connect with you somehow. So um, when it comes to the job search uh, in our, in our previous conversations, you had talked about the job search being a lot like therapy. And I wanted to just yeah. start with that um, topic. Cause I do think, I mean, obviously with career therapy, I very much agree with you, but what are the things that you see when you're working with job seekers that, um, has that kind of therapeutic or maybe that real sort of internal look before they start going out and and experiencing and, and putting themselves out in front of people? What are the things that we should be thinking about? And why do you think job, the job search is similar to therapy? Well, I think people don't do the work that I think people just want to look for jobs and then see if it fits them. But I think that you need to do the work internally by asking yourself, okay, what do I want to do? What lights me up? What makes me excited? Why do I like going to work? If it's Monday morning, what are the, on my list of to-dos, what is the most exciting thing to me? And then try to answer those questions about what you like and then find the job that matches that. I think people are doing it backwards. 
And to give some perspective, I probably talk to a hundred people a month looking for jobs. So let's say four or five people a day, 20-ish days in the work month times 12, that's maybe 1,200, 1,300 people a year who are looking for jobs. And wow. that's what I see. Yeah. <laughs> so all that to say the people that I'm like, oh, they they need to do some work and figure out what they want is because I'll say, I mean, the first question, if you've ever been in an interview, and of course you have and our listeners too, the first question is, what are you looking for? And the second question might be, why are you interested in the job? But really the most important thing is, what are you looking for? Because this job could be an amazing job, but if it's not what you want, it's not amazing. So it's all relative to what you, what suits your needs. And I think there's no right or wrong. I think people want this like hot, cool, like prestigious position, but if that's not, if it's not what you want, you're not going to be happy. And I think people keep running into the same mistakes, much like if you don't examine yourself in therapy, you can run, you can repeat the same habits. I think people do that in the job search too. Yeah, I really like that because, you know, with any job you bring yourself with, right? Isn't that the old cliche? And so yeah. when we think about that stuff, repeating the same habits and trying to break those habits, you know, so often I'm talking to people and they're like, well, it's a new year. I want to get a new job. And we talked about this a couple episodes ago with uh, a therapist who was saying like, yeah. you know, a lot of times people come into his office thinking they want one thing, but then they find out they want something completely different. And if we don't take that time to do the self-analysis, we might again, like you said, repeat the same thing over and over again. So what what do you think is getting in the way? What do you think stops people from doing that work, from digging it and finding those answers? Because it's work and they don't want to. They already reach a point. There's a threshold that you reach in your job where you're like, someday something just annoys you and it's like, oh, whatever, I'll be there tomorrow. But then people reach a point where they're like, forget it. I am done with this job. And they can't think outside of their situation anymore. So by then it's kind of almost too late to do the work. Or it's like when you are really emotional about something, it's not a great time to make a decision. And it's the same thing with the job search. So that's why I think it's important to kind of every three, six months, reevaluate your skills. What are you excited about at your job? And that's not even if you want to leave your job. If you love your job, why do you love it? What makes you excited? And then what are the things that you want to change? And then before you get to this point where you're like, I cannot stand being here. I've got to get out. Before you get to that point, maybe talk to your bosses, your managers, see if there's something that you can do in your current situation, like at your current company. Maybe it's changing into a slightly different role. Maybe it's hiring a couple more people to take some of this workload off of your plate. There's there's maybe things you can do before you get to this emotional part. And I've seen people do it. I call them and I'm like, oh, I just, I've got to get out of my job that I'm in. I'm like, okay, well, if you feel that way, I'm going to talk to you in six months when you get your new job and you're going to feel the same. So I think people don't want to do the work because it's by the time they realize they need to do the work, it's kind of not too late, but they're just getting too emotional about it. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, you're too close to the problem. It's like a marketer trying to market themselves. They're, they're too close right. to themselves. So they don't know how to have a simple story because in their head, it's so complex. And we see that when people try to do their pitch or try to put a resume together, or try to write a cover letter, uh, they just get so overwhelmed because there's too much information in their head and they know all the negative stuff that they've done <laughs> or that they've not done perfectly, right? We're hypercritical. So then we were like, okay, we have to go out and sell ourselves. Well, who feels 
if you're in a spot where your job is not enjoyable and you want to change, you're probably not feeling too good about yourself in a lot of ways. So how do people deal with that? How do you ask yourself these hard hitting questions, these deep existential almost questions when you're not feeling good about yourself? How can you balance those scales? Yeah, I think that's like the secret sauce right there. I think you hit it. And I would say the answer is talk to people, talk to your friends, talk to not your bosses, like talk to people that are outside of your company. Like maybe you have a, I call it like a professional board of directors. Like maybe it's people that you used to work with two jobs ago. You could call them and be like, hey, man, remember when we worked together? What do we like about doing that? And maybe just talk to even, you know, maybe it's your partner or, you know, a good friend that can help you. I always would help any of my friends with this kind of thing. But I think when people are in that kind of quote unquote negative space, sometimes, and people may not like this advice, but I say, start with the negative. Okay. You don't like your job. What don't you like about it? Okay. I don't like that. My commute is two hours. Okay. So then something you do need is a commute that's less than that, or start with the negative and then see if you can flip it into a positive. Like, well, I don't like that. I have to manage people. Okay. So then maybe for your next job, you don't want to manage people or you don't want to manage that person or that team. Like really try to just dig a little bit deeper, but talk to someone since we know that you're kind of too close to the situation. Talk to someone who's a little bit outside of the situation. And when it comes to getting advice from people, I think this is also one of the things when it comes to the recruiter perspective that I think will be interesting to get into. Um, You know, people will go talk to their spouse or their friend and they'll start asking for advice or maybe they'll even start asking for advice from other professionals. And then they have too many different types of advice. Your resume should be this way or your resume should be that way. Or every single person they talk to says they should do something different. Uh, How do we suss through all of the different advice to find the best advice or what works for us? Because maybe everyone's a little bit different. So different advice hits in different ways. What would you say... um, what would you say we should be looking out for in the advice that we get from people to know whether or not we could, we should rely on that or trust it? Yeah, I think you can think about really what's your response when people give you that advice. And if you are like, oh, that's horrible advice, then maybe it's not right for you. But if you hear something like, oh, I never thought about it that way, maybe like dig into that and ask yourself a little bit more about it. The other thing is try to talk to people who understand. I mean, my mom is awesome, but she is a kindergarten teacher. She's not in the corporate world. If I try to talk to her about my job search or what's happening with me at work, she doesn't know. And so she's trying to help, but I'm like, her advice is not as helpful because she's not in it with me. I think ultimately people who are on the job search and don't really know what they're looking for a little bit, I think we've got to turn the mirror a little bit and be a little bit more accountable and say, okay, am I the problem? Maybe it's not the job itself. What am I doing in this situation to make it worse? And I can tell you, I have interviewed for so many jobs. I have gotten them. I've not gotten them. I've screwed up so badly in interviews. Like it's That's why I would say I'm an expert because I know what it's like to make mistakes in interviews. And I know what it's like to take the wrong job and then be like, oh my gosh, what did I do? So I, I would say there is a list and I have my book, Interview Like a Pro. And I do talk about a lot of these questions that you can ask yourself. So you can take in what people are telling you. And I know it's like, oh, that's so many things in my ears. I don't know what's right. And that point, that's the point where I would say, look at the questions in the book. And it's things like, what makes you excited? Why do you like that? Why did you choose this industry? Do you want to do something different? And I think the pressure of like, you've got to have an answer right now, as soon as you answer these questions is hard. Take a minute, 
Think about it. You don't have to have an answer today, especially if you still have your job. You have time to look at the right opportunity, really examine what you need. And a question that I ask candidates a lot, I say, what do you want in your next job that you don't have in your current job? And that is kind of a good jump start to, to really kick off those conversations and say, yeah, you know, I really want more flexibility in my job or I'm remote and I have to sit at my desk all day and I'm alone. I want to be with people. So there's some things that can be overcome by just saying, hey, maybe it's a conversation with your manager to get that thing. Or maybe it is time to find another role. But I think talking to your, you know, in your board of trustees, your board of directors, and then looking through these questions that are self-reflective, I think from there and take giving yourself some time and some grace, I think you can make a lot of decisions from that. Yeah. And and when we start asking those questions, right? All right. So we're saying like, what do I want in my next job that I don't have in this one? Um, mm-hmm. I've I've definitely seen people come up with some pretty interesting answers for that question yeah. where they start to say things like, I want a boss that respects me. I want to have a great work-life balance. I want to, and they just start listing off all these really idealistic things. And I'm like, well, yeah. bosses come and go, environments change. Like they're, it's almost like uh, if you ask someone who they want to date and they just give you this like perfect human being that doesn't exist. Right. So I, yeah. it, it's, and the same thing happens on the, on the employer side with their job descriptions that are looking for a person that doesn't exist. So how do we, how do we take these kind of ideas of, you know, I wish I could have all of this stuff and then bring it back to reality. What do you think is a realistic perspective to have when we go into the job search process, maybe on the amount of time it'll take on the types of companies that we'll find on the environments that, or how do we even assess these things? What's just a realistic perspective that we could take to the job search so that we're not getting disappointed over and over again or or feeling overwhelmed? I think the first thing, when I talk to candidates and I think, because I can tell you pretty much in about five to six minutes if this person is going to move forward in the process for us. And I thought that not just where I work now, but anywhere I've worked, I'm like, okay, they're going to be right. The first thing I think people have to do, and I think it's the hardest sometimes, depending on people's situation, do not show that you're desperate. You can't, because then it's like, it doesn't matter if this job is perfect. You are too desperate. It doesn't, it feels too urgent. And then people get that energy from you and they're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be around this person. Even if their qualifications are, you know, totally on point for the job. So I think that's the first thing you cannot show. I didn't say don't be desperate. I said, don't show that you are in the interview. But I think trying to keep things as low pressure as you can. If you are interested in a job, let's say you found a company that you're just interested in. I mean, it doesn't have to. I think that's the thing. I think people put too much pressure on themselves to find this soulmate job. And like you said with dating, I mean, how many soulmates can there be? So I would say keeping it low pressure, invite people to coffee, just meet people and do that before you get to that threshold that we talked about of, oh, I can't stand this job. I got to get out of here. Just meet people. Who cares? And that's why the value of things like the AMA, American Marketing Association, or whatever professional associations that people are a member of, it's really important to meet people in person because you can just go and grab a drink at the bar with people and just talk to them. Oh, what do you like about your job? And hearing other people talk about their experiences that makes you get to know someone when in a low pressure, the guards are down. That's a way better way to assess what you want to do, the type of people you want to meet. 
So I think people put too high expectations on themselves. Try to keep it simple. Don't act desperate if you can. And I think just remind yourself that you are more than your resume. You are more than a job description. You're a person and you deserve to find something that makes you feel good. I really appreciate the way you put that. It's, you know, putting so much pressure on finding your soulmate job. Uh, you know, all this marketing out there is like, find your dream job, you know, find your passion, all that different stuff. And it's, it's one of those things that all throughout my work as a career coach, where sometimes you have to use that kind of language. I'm always just like, ah, it's just like, it twists the knife just a little bit because I'm like, that's just setting people up for a letdown. And, you know, even if you do find your quote unquote dream job, give it a year, you know, like you will adjust. And that's one of the beautiful things about being human is that when it, things are really bad, we can adjust to those situations and find a way to be normal. But also that means when things are good, we adjust to those situations and don't enjoy them forever. And trying to realize that, you know, there always is just like this contentment, hopefully in the middle that we can find and keep moving forward. And when you talk about not showing that you're desperate, I think this one's hard for people because yeah. they're, they're told so often that they need to be authentic, right? Um, and they feel this pressure to be overly honest in the job search about their intentions, about their experience. And I always say, talk to companies the way that they talk to you with a lot of gusto. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but what, you know, when it comes to trying to not show your desperation, what are some signs or what, what can the job seekers look out for of like, maybe they don't realize that they're showing that they're desperate in the actions that they're taking. So what are certain actions that signal desperation to a recruiter? To me, number one is rambling. I, or, I mean, simply enough, like I had a guy, here's a, here's an example. I had a, a, a candidate a couple months ago and he was awesome. His resume, I was like, oh, you worked for some amazing companies. He had a great resume, well-written, actionable. I mean, achieved so many things. I couldn't wait to talk to him. I get on the phone. I'm like, why do you want to work here? And he said, you know, I just need a job. And immediately I'm like, this is not going to work. Because he's probably interviewing everywhere saying that. And he's just going to go with the highest bidder, probably. And that's not going to make him happy. And he's going to be back on the search. So I would say, sometimes people just say it flat out. And that's probably the most obvious. But I think when people are rambling and they don't really have good answers, that to me says, not that they're not a bad, not that they're a bad candidate. I mean, maybe they're an awesome candidate. But they haven't done the work like we originally talked about. They haven't thought about these things. Or they just, the way they say things, well, I just, I need more money. I need this. I need that. The I need is like, well, look, we all need money to live. But you when you hear something, for example, if someone says, hey, why do you want to work here? You say, well, you know, I, I looked up the company and I thought you have amazing clients. You do all this incredible work. I'd love to be part of that. Rather than like, well, I need a new job. I need to work in an agency. I know I have that experience. So I think I'd be good. Do you hear the difference just... And maybe, maybe the first one is true, but you don't have to say it like that. And you're still being authentic, even though, I mean, you're telling the truth, but you don't have to say, oh my gosh, I, I hate my boss and everything's horrible. You don't have to say those things. You can say things, if, you know, one time I had a candidate say the job was a little bit, 
um, he was a little bit overqualified. And so I said, well, this job would have a lot of um, doing reporting and analysis. And he said, well, that sounds interesting, but I've already nurtured that skill set. Instead of saying that is like, I did that 10 years ago. Don't make me, don't put me back in that situation again. So there's ways that you can finesse things. You're still authentic. You're still getting your point across, but you don't sound desperate and you sound more like you're not under pressure. Yeah. And it, it really is. I think people get upset about that because they're like, how come I have to do this? Why do I have to finesse things? Why do I have, why can't I just say, I want a job? Like, that's the truth. I get that all the time for people when they're frustrated. <laughs> so, well, uh, go for it. Tr- okay. You're right. But would you say that to a client? If you were like, you need to just win this pitch. Can you just like buy my product? You don't say that to people. It's because the way that you're talking to me, at least when I, I mean, I work in an agency, so I have to kind of suss out how people talk to me is probably how they're going to talk to our clients or when they're in a new business pitch, that's probably how they're going to act. So it's extra important in these types of jobs and a lot of marketing jobs, if we're focusing on marketing only, but a lot of other industries too. So I think if you, if you don't know how to, to be polished and to speak in a way that's professional, how am I going to know for sure that you can do that on the job? Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, I think one of the key things to really point out here is a lot of these skills that we're talking about in relation to the job search, I don't think people appreciate that they're also incredibly important just for the job and for getting promoted in that job and for not creating issues at work. And, you know, being able to write a good email is great for the job search and for your career. Being able to do an interview is great for the job search. And now you have that skill of telling a story or, you know, showcasing your skill set or whatever the thing might be for the rest of your career and or networking even. It's like people don't want to network during the job search. I'm like, well, what are you going to do when you get in the company? Never talk to a coworker? Like you've got to figure out how to do this. And so these are very applicable skills. They're not just for the job search. They're for the whole, your whole career, your whole life. Um, but when it yeah, comes outside to- of work too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, a lot of what you're saying, I'm like, I got to figure this out for myself. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and so when we get into some of this stuff, um, one of the things that I find interesting in like the cultural milieu right now is um, the post hustle culture snapback. So we went oh, really yeah. hard, really hard on hustle culture, work every weekend, do all the all the rise and grind stuff. And now there seems to be this like quiet quitting movement. Like, I mean, these are all just cliches that media blows out of proportion, but let's just say there's maybe even just the slightest bit of pushback on hustle culture where people are like, a job's a job. I don't actually care. Um, I want work to feed my life, not my life to feed my work or whatever the things might be. Um, When this starts to creep in um, and everyone starts to want to work more remote and be more detached and things become a little bit, you know, more just, you know, to-do lists on screens instead of interactions with coworkers. How do you see that changing the face of the job search, changing the face of the workplace, or just changing how you interact with people in general? Yeah, that is a good question. And I think obviously there's so many things and so many reasons why we say quiet quitting and why that's been going on. But I, I mean, it's a combination of Gen Z just kind of feeling that way. And it's also other people feeling that way too, other generations. I mean, we've been the last two years working parents. I have two children under the age of four working during the pandemic. I mean, I think we're all a little bit 
I need some time to recover. And I don't know how people can get that without just totally leaving the workforce. But even then, I mean, you might feel like you're left out or you might feel mm-hmm. like, oh no, I'm behind or people have those types of thoughts. But also too, I mean, with people getting laid off, that means that other people are having to pick up the slack and work maybe two to three other jobs within their job and they didn't get increases in their salary. And with inflation being really high and people not getting the raises that even match inflation, they feel like they got a pay cut. So I think people are already feeling this kind of a little bit salty, maybe. But I think that's where, I mean, in the job search, it's hard because you don't work at these companies yet. But I think it does come down to how well do you vibe with the people that you're working with? And if you really feel like the hustle culture is not for you, that's a great time for you to ask questions like, what's the flexibility like? What's the vacation time? I mean, you can ask questions like that and just say, hey, you know, my last position, I only had two weeks vacation. I really just given everything that's happened, I really would like more. I think it's okay to ask about vacation. Some people think that makes you sound like a slacker, but I don't think so, especially if you can put it in the context of, you know, I I know in order to do my best work, I need at least, you know, whatever it is, three to four weeks vacation or unlimited vacation or whatever people want. But I think it's all right to ask about that. But I would ask probably the people in HR and the way you can ask instead of the hiring manager. And the way you can ask about these things is just ask for a list of benefits. And that way you don't have to outright say, what's the vacation days? do we get Columbus Day off? Like, that's what they say if you ever saw you and me and Dupree. He asks that. He's like, oh, I'm not going to take that job. I don't get Columbus Day off. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. Anyway, that's a deep cut from like 2005. I don't know. I love it. I love but anyway, it. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I think there are, that's what I mean about being authentic. It's like, I'm tired. I need a vacation. Okay. That may be how you really feel. But there's ways to ask in an interview, like saying, wow, you know, I, I'm really interested in the opportunity. I'd love to hear more and speak to the hiring teams. Just to, out of curiosity, I'd love to understand a bit more about your benefits package. Do you have a list of benefits you could send over, like a one-pager? And that's simple enough. And then it usually has all the vacation days, all that stuff. Well, and I think that that plays into, um, again, the the desperation that you're talking about, as well as people wanting all of the information and answers up front um, versus allowing it to kind of reveal itself throughout the process. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. someone will come to me and say, I don't know if I should apply to this job because I don't know if they're going to have the right culture that I want. And I'm like, yeah, you're not going to know that until you've interviewed and probably worked there for a while. Like (laughs) you're not going to have that answer. I think you have to live it, honestly. I I think to your question about, you know, how do you address quiet quitting and the job search and this like kind of culture of burnout? I think that's it. I think you just have to do the interviews and maybe you don't want to go through the whole rigmarole and the whole process, but how are you going to know? I mean, you're right, unless you talk to someone and you can tell. I really think in an interview, especially if it's a video call or if it's in person, a lot of the positions I recruit for are remote. So I do mostly video calls. I work fully remotely and I don't really feel isolated. I think I get a better sense. I get, I get to see, okay, what kind of office does this person's office space does this person have set up? I feel like I get to know people through the interview process in a deeper way. And I think at our company, we do try to do some types of in-person things, but we also do a lot of virtual meetups. And I do think it can feel fun if that's what you want. Well, and I think 
I, I, when I hear that, I think I put myself in the job seeker shoes and they're like, oh my gosh, they're looking in my house. They're judging me for all of my things. Like, you know, uh, I, I, yeah. I, I just yeah, have I their anxiety so close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so what should people know in regards to their setup? What should they be mindful of in the way they set up their home? Well, before people think I'm some home peeper, let me clear <laughs> that up because I would say, I mean, if you were in person interview, would you not be like, okay, what are they wearing? Like, how are they presenting themselves? Not that they have to be these gorgeous models, but just like, did you take a shower? Did you try? You know, that's what I mean. And I think it's the same with virtual interviews. I also, I find it's going to be a good tip to put something behind you that's interesting. So I talked to a candidate a couple of weeks ago and he had a bunch of sports jerseys in the back, you know, hanging behind the, in the wall. And I thought, oh, okay. And I saw on his resume that he played sports. I was like, oh, like, tell me about that. And it just leads to different interesting parts of the conversation that I probably wouldn't have seen if I'd met him in person at the office, because he probably wouldn't have worn his sports jersey to the interview. So I think there are, you're right. I mean, don't look at people's houses, but I think it's also the way that you present matters. And that's true, whether you're in person or at a house, or if you don't like your background, you can say, I'm so sorry. Gosh, I had to go to a Starbucks today because the internet at my house was out or, you know, you can also find all of these, these backgrounds from zoom or teams, or, you know, you can, you can, you don't have to have this like great setup. You can just pretend and put a fake background. So I think it's okay. Right. And I, so I appreciate you getting into the detail there because a lot of what we're talking about, I think when job seekers hear it, they misinterpret. They go, oh, so I have to fake it. Oh, I have to lie. Oh, I have to whatever. And they just take that little nugget and they bring it to the extreme. But in reality, what you're saying is it's about managing your tone. It's about managing your presence um, and just putting forth, a, you know, putting your best foot forward in a lot of ways, which seems common sense until people try and actually do it. And then they get all flustered because they're anxious or nervous or whatever the things might be. And so mm -hmm. a lot of even it's not even about having necessarily the exact right thing. So how you said that it's like, oh, I'm at Starbucks today or apologizing for something or, you know, to your point about rambling, I'm I'm definitely a rambler. And in interviews, if I catch myself rambling, I'll just go, sorry, I get really excited about this topic. Do you mind if I restate it? And And just doing something like that first of all, manages my own emotions, but also manages the tone, manages expectations, allows for things to like smooth over things that are kind of iffy. We don't have to mm -hmm. be perfect. We just have to be good at rolling with the punches in a way. And I'm curious, what examples have you seen of people who maybe did screw up, but bounced back or, you know, didn't have everything perfect, but like still made a good impression? Do you have any fun examples? Oh, that's a good question. Well, you know, internally, I've had people like high level executives presenting and their kids come in, you know, and they're like, oh, well, I guess my my high schooler is home. Like, they'll just say stuff like that. And it's kind of funny. I've seen people have their cat come in the background. They're like, oh, you know, that, like, oh, you know, my cat, of course, is in the corner all day. But the one minute I'm on the phone, they they come up. I think just making a joke about it and staying measured. And I think a way, I always tell people to do this tip and people laugh at me, but then they get the job and they're like, thank you. So I would say, you know, before you get on a video call, test your audio, test everything like 20 minutes before, if you can. I mean, I know some people are busy working, but if your interview's on a Monday, do it on a Saturday. 
do these things. You will feel better. I mean, for our interview today, I was up like two days ago. I was like, how do we figure this microphone thing out? Because I don't want to feel flustered today. I want to feel relaxed. I want to bring a good energy. And I don't want to feel nervous about something that's important, but not what we're here to talk about. So I don't want it to take away from our conversation. So I think planning ahead as much as you can and looking at interview for the actual interview itself, looking at interview questions and practicing in the mirror. Because sometimes people do weird things. They fiddle with their jewelry or they get too close or they like do something weird. They play with their hair. You don't know what you're doing until you get in to the actual interview and then you're starting to be self-conscious. So if you can even practice with a friend, like call your friend who has Microsoft Teams or your, you know, what I said, like your board of trustees, like call a buddy, call me, I'll help you test it. <laughs> and I don't care. I'll help anybody with their interviews. So that way you're not freaking out and you can really focus on why you're the best candidate. Yeah, that's so true. It's It reminds me, I actually recently got feedback that I touch my face too much in this podcast. And I'm like, ah, oh, geez, I got to think about that. <laughs> now <laughs> so, you're like sitting on your hands. Oh, yeah, I'm like, just right here. Okay. Um, and so <laughs> when we think about all these things and we do start practicing, I think this brings us naturally into a great topic, which is uh, when recruiters are asking questions, uh, what is the question behind the question? Maybe I can throw a few interview questions to you and and see like what you're trying to learn about people from it. Because, you know, something as simple as like, tell me about yourself. People will, people will ramble for 12 minutes with that answer. Um, and I don't ask that anymore. <laughs> thank God. Uh, and Because it, it really does show, in, whenever people ask me what they're supposed to say, I'm like, the truth is the person asking it isn't, doesn't know what they're asking. So you kind of have free reign to, come up with something fun to say that is clear and concise and to the point. But um, what are what are maybe a, three common interview questions that you ask? Um, and what is it that you're looking for in an answer to that? Because people do get very in their head when they're trying to answer these questions. Something as simple as strengths and weaknesses, they just, they just can't even get to it. They're like, I solve problems. And I'm like, so do dog walkers. What, what problems right. do you solve, right? So what yeah. are maybe a couple examples of the kind of question behind the question and what people need to know about your perspective when answering these things. Yeah. I always ask people depending on if I reached out to them or if they applied for a job. So the conversation can be a little bit different because if I reached out to them, I don't even know if they're on the job search, but if they applied, obviously I know. So I would say, so what, what's exciting to you about this role and what I'm really asking I mean, to your point, like, I just need a job or like those types of people. I mean, I want to know, did you do your homework? Did you look up what this company does? Did you look up what this position is? Do you remember what the job description is? So many times I've had people who are gorilla applying for jobs and like, what is this again? I don't know. And they get the wrong job. So I'm like, okay, well, if you can't get organized enough to talk to me and waste time, then probably not going to be a good fit. So that's one. Another question I like to ask, because a lot of the roles I recruit for are very client-facing, you need to be very clear with your communication, I ask people to tell me about a campaign that they've run recently. And not because I need to hear about the media impressions of L'Oreal or whatever, it's because I want to hear how they explain things. How are, if you're explaining this to a client, are you using really inside baseball words, or are you being condescending, are you explaining it in a way that's shows that you know what you're talking about, but also in a way that's accessible to people. So I like to see how people explain 
And can they do it quickly and not ramble? Always looking for no rambling. Because I think when people ramble, to me, it says, oh, they're a little bit disorganized or they're maybe they are nervous. But if you're rambling in your thoughts, are you going to ramble in your work? Are you going to know what's important, especially at the executive level? Are you going to understand what's important about our business? If you can't tell me what's important about you, then how are you going to do that for the business when you know yourself better than anyone else? So that should be like what you should be able to do the best. And if you can't do that, it's nerve. It's a little bit nervy to put you in front of the, a million dollar business or, you know, whatever the job is. And how important are stories when answering these questions? You know, we've heard about the star method. We've heard about storytelling. Yeah. Um, I was trying to get someone earlier today. Uh, we were going through some interview questions and I was trying to get them to tell me examples, not just these high level things. Uh, and every example, they're like, oh, I don't even know. I can't think of anything, uh, you know, or the example they have is like, I was really angry about this. <laughs> it's like, and so sometimes we only remember the worst experiences and we like all the good stuff just disappears from our mind. But how important are stories and what about the story is important? Maybe we can even go a level deeper than just saying like, oh yeah, stories. But like to you, what is it what is it that makes a story good in an interview or how do, how could people tell stories that help you understand where they're coming from? Yeah, I can give you an example, like a real story of mine that I think is a, a good example. So somebody asked me, okay, so one, I had someone ask me, what was a mistake that you made and how did you learn from it? So my real life example was I used to do PR and I worked for a credit card company and we, I had emailed them back and forth about a quote because we were launching a new credit card and they were writing it up and it was the Washington Post. So like a place that people are going to really see this article, like a lot of people saw this article and I, they got the quote wrong. And it's because I only emailed them and I should have called them because it's a, it's important enough. I thought email would be better because they won't mince the words. They'll get an exact quote, but I should have called and moving forward, whenever I was dealing with tier one publications, I always called because I didn't want to be misrepresented. What I should have done was called and then followed up on email. And so, so that's when, like a real example. Yeah, yeah it's an amazing example. So like when you give that example, and I like how you ended that because you're like, here's what happened. Here's how I've learned from it. And now when you're talking to this company, they can either infer or you can even directly say, and this is how it will impact my work with this role. And I think that that's maybe the big piece that even the star method kind of leaves out. The star method's like situation, task, action, result. But then it's like, what about the learning? I always feel like the learning piece and how it ties into the next role. So you had a conflict. How does that conflict show you how to handle conflicts in the future kind of a thing? And so, um, yeah. no, I really appreciate how you broke that down because it really is they're looking for the growth in the story, not just the fact that something happened. And so as we're as we're sitting down and we're trying to build these um, interactions with recruiters, do you feel that recruiters, I'm, I'm maybe gonna take a, a few steps backwards here just to ask a, a sort of bigger question. Um, okay. When it comes to uh, recruiters and forming these connections. There are good recruiters and then there's, let's just say difficult recruiters. Um, how can people uh, figure out which recruiters to engage with? Um, and maybe, cause one of the things that I see come up a lot is people getting ghosted. So we talked about, well, if you can't even show up on time and you can't do this, 
Uh, and that can sometimes happen with maybe these like mass recruiting, you know, organizations uh, that aren't as personalized. And then people can get a little bit uh, upset and then take that upset out. Yeah. yeah, then get discouraged and then take it out on the good recruiters. How do we maybe manage our emotions so we're not taking out the energy from a previous recruiter on a good recruiter that we might come across? Let's look at it from that perspective. I mean, I have been on the job search and I have felt desperate and the best recruiters, and I try to do this now, I didn't probably do it before, but I think the best recruiters sit, try to encourage. They try to help you. They say, well, you know, the, they, and they have the information too. They'll say, well, you know, this hiring manager, they're really going to ask you these types of questions. They need to know these types of things. And I think when you know you have a good recruiter is when they are transparent about the salary ranges, about the opportunity. Because sometimes I'll say, yeah, you know, this isn't right for you probably, but I'll let you decide. I'm not going to discount you. But here's why I don't think you could, you might be the best fit. And here's the type of people you're up against and why you might be not as qualified for this specific role. But that doesn't mean there couldn't be another, I like to say, seat on the bus for you. But maybe this specific job isn't right. So I think when you can, how to know if there's a good recruiter, people who are empathetic, people who understand the job, people who try to get to know you. And I think just trying to, how do you not transfer your discouragement, discouragement to others? We'll go with that. Yeah. I think just remember, they don't know you. They've never talked to you before. Give people a chance. You don't know. Maybe this person is incompetent, but if you're nice, they're not going to, they're not going to strike you down. Like, you're just, you just have to feel that a little bit, unfortunately, but I think always lead with, Hey, they've never met me before. They've never heard my story. So I'm going to give them the real uh, first impression that I want to give people. I think you have to, it doesn't, I don't think it doesn't matter if the recruiter is, is difficult. That's not your fault. You don't have to be that way. I appreciate you saying that. Cause there's, I think there's sort of a mindset with the job search and we can also make the analogies to all the dating and everything like that too. But yeah. um, there's this mindset that like, I just want to have one conversation and be done with this. And that is just not possible. There's just no way the first person you talk to is going to be the perfect fit. That's going to be the perfect job. That's it's, it is a numbers game. And I think so often people are trying to somehow on the front end, prevent themselves from getting into an awkward interaction or get stood up or ghosted or they're like i don't want any of those negative things to happen so i'm gonna just try and control everything so much up front but that creates this desperation and this fear for each interaction to be so perfect and i think it creates this awful flywheel and so um let's just take it to like how to how to approach these interactions like can people just reach straight out to recruiters? Uh, should they wait for the recruiter to reach out to them? What are maybe some of the ways they can increase their activity so that they're not putting so much emphasis on every single interaction? Okay, yeah. So I prior to working here, I worked for an executive search company and it was a boutique marketing search firm. So whenever I would see a marketing executive reach out to me, I thought, okay, they researched me, they found where I worked, they know that I work on the types of roles that I that they would be recruited for. So I always was welcomed by that. If people reached out and they said, Hey, you know, here I just I want to talk to you at some point. I don't like when people just throw their resume. I feel like that's like if you were walking down the street and someone just threw a piece of paper at you. That's how it feels to me. I'm like, what am I going to do with this? I mean, what do I know about you? Like, did you even look at the open jobs? So I think the best way to deal with a recruiter or find the right recruiter, there's a couple things you can do. So one, if you apply for a job, let's say on LinkedIn, 
a lot of times they'll have the recruiter's profile there. And so you can say, hey, you know, apply for the job first and then follow up with the recruiter and say, hey, you know, hey, Jenna, I just applied for this position of what's the name of the position, maybe a link to it. Because recruiters have 20, 45 recs. Like, I don't know what position they applied for. And you could say, hey, I applied for this yesterday. I think I would be a great fit because X, Y, and Z. I wanted you to have my resume at the top of the stack. I know you've got a lot of candidates, but would love to welcome a conversation at some point in the next couple of weeks. Simple enough. And then I feel like I've got all the information I need. I've got the resume. I know what job they applied for. I have a sense of why they think they're right for this. So, okay, I'm much more willing to get on the phone with somebody like that rather than like, hey, I'm looking for a marketing job. Can you help me? I don't know you. No, I can't. I, I want to. I really do want to. I want all of my roles filled. I want everyone to find their soulmate job. I believe that people can do the impossible. I really am optimistic about that. But when people approach like that, I'm like, okay, they probably reached out to 50 of me. And what, I mean, I'm no different. So why should I engage with this? And I get, sometimes I get 20 or 30 of those a week. Wow. And I'm just like, I don't know what to do. I, what, am I supposed to go on our website, which we have over 2000 roles open and go through each each job description and look at their resume and see what matches? Why should I be doing that? Shouldn't they? And that so goes for networking too. Yeah. Yeah, that goes for yep. networking too, because I see people do that all the time. They're like, hey, are there any jobs at your company? And I'm like, you expect this person who works as like an account manager to pause their day because of your email, go to the internal job board, which they probably don't even know how to get to it, uh, spend 20 minutes. Look. Yeah. yeah and, and then and then respond to you. Like that's like 30 minutes of their day. How much is that person's hourly rate? Are you willing to pay them that hourly? <laughs> like, and so- you know, I agree with you fully. It's um, we have to shift that perspective from who can help me get a job to how can I help these people hire for this role? And if someone comes to you with that perspective, I, I would assume yeah. that's a much better way to do it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest rule, don't create work for people, especially those you don't know. I mean, if you, it's like you said, if you just threw a resume at somebody and said, hey, do you have a marketing job? I can't help you. I've got candidates that are viable for specific jobs that I've got to talk to. I've got hiring managers, or maybe I have clients, or I've got other work to do. I can't, I can't do that. I cannot spend my time that way. I will not hit my personal goals or professional goals. And if I respond half the time, people don't even write back anyway, because they've moved on to something else. So I think the biggest thing, if you're reaching out to recruiters, try to find recruiters either at that company or if they're in your field have a reason to reach out and say why you're reaching out. And then, yeah, I think don't lead with what's in it for you. Say, hey, I, I saw that you're hiring for this role. I think my experience could align really well. I'd love to learn more about it. And also any of the other roles that cross your desk, something like that. And then you're like, wow, this person, they could be right for some of these things. They know how to reach out. They know how to kind of not be so entitled. And they're not creating more work for me because I'm already busy. And they're respectful of my time. I love that. Don't be entitled. Don't be desperate. Be respectful. Try to help. Control your tone. <laughs> be curious instead of demanding. Um, these are all amazing things uh, that I hope are sinking in with all you listeners. <laughs> so, uh, but this is all really good stuff. And I think um, when it comes to figuring out uh, 
you know, okay, I'm a job seeker. I'm going through this process. I'm trying to digest this. I got to figure out who I am. I got to control my tone. I got to reach out in the proper way and, and apply to these jobs, but also network, you know, it starts to get to be a lot. Um, what are maybe some tools that you've come across that could be really helpful for people as they're trying to put together their resume or put together a cover letter, or should they even do a cover letter? We could talk about that as well. Um, what are some of the tools or things that they should, maybe the better way to ask this is how should they prioritize their job search? Yeah. Cause there's a thousand things that they could do. And very often we, we find that they spend way too much time on things that don't matter. So how might they best prioritize their time on the things that matter the most? I think it also depends on the candidates like level, like if they're entry level, I think definitely going to events, FaceTime, uh, not FaceTime on your iPhone, but literally face to face with people. Um, I think trying to network is really, really important. I mean, networking is important at all levels, but if you've never, I talked to somebody today, actually, she is a student at a university. She's graduating in May and she called me already. She's like, I just wanted some interview advice. And I'm like, wow, you're four months ahead of your graduation. You already want interview advice. Okay, this person is organized. They are serious. They're definitely going to find a job. Regardless of if I'm helping them or not, they're going to find a job. So I'm always so impressed by people who are in students or their entry level if they just reach out. And so I think that's really impressive. I think just talk to people, just network. And then, yeah, I mean, I think getting your resume is important, but I think if you're more entry level, that's hard because you don't have experience. So you're like, what do I put on my resume? I don't know. It might be better for you to talk to people and then kind of put your resume together. Mm. Maybe, maybe it depends on if you have, I mean, I would put some sort of basic resume together just so you can bring something or email them if they ask you for it. But if you don't really know what to write on your resume, I would talk to people and just go to events and things and say, hey, I'm looking for jobs. What types of things do you do as a media coordinator or a media planner? And then from there, you can try to help yourself write your resume. But I think talking to people face-to-face -face is always important. I met my one of my, not now, but previously, I met one of my bosses at a conference. I just went up and talked to her. I wasn't looking for a job even. I just said, hey, I heard your talk. And I, you live in Chicago. I live in Chicago. You work for a marketing firm. I do marketing recruiting. I thought we should just meet. And then she offered me a job literally on the spot. So <laughs> that's amazing. But that, I mean, you could say like, okay, that doesn't happen to people. Okay. It happened to me. I've placed people I've met on a bus. People, uh, one of my colleagues placed somebody she shared an Uber with. Wow. Face to face is for real, yeah. which I know you're like, well, we're all remote now. So now what do we do? But that's the thing. I think it's got to be got to try to go to either virtual meetups or try to find professional organizations and meet people in person. I, I do really think that's the best way or go through your college if you're entry level or just try to go through your Rolodex. Like if you're kind of mid level, talk to your talk to your colleagues or not your colleagues, but previous colleagues or you know, try to get involved somehow, like even if it's just like young professionals organizations. I think in person is the way to go if you can. Yeah. And and in person, again, like you said, can mean a lot of different things. And so sometimes that's one-on-one -on -one coffee. Sometimes that's groups. Volunteering is huge. So I really appreciate you hitting yeah. on that. 
so hard because I everything in my career has come from that. And every time I get too far away from that, I'm like, dang it, I got to get back into it. You know, um, mm-hmm. there are also a lot of trends out there. So obviously the networking stuff, especially in person, you, there's no automating that. There's no hiring someone to do that. You have to do that. Uh, but then when it comes to some of the um, technical parts of the job search, you know, there's resume builders out there. There's people you can hire to do your resume. Now there's chat GPT uh, to write cover letters for you and things like that. Um, What do you think people should lean on for support? And what do you think they should maybe avoid when it comes to these resources? Because I'll see people come to me all the time with like, I know a template they spent a hundred dollars on. I'm like, there's no recruiter in the world that wants to see this thing. Right. And so I'm curious, you know, what have you seen out there uh, that are maybe like landmines that people should avoid when it comes to trying to be more effective or, or hack their job search or things like that? Is there anything that's been helpful or hurtful that you've seen? No, I think it's a hard question because I haven't used ChatGPT yet. So I don't know about that as much as I'd like to know, but I, I think there is just no substitute for talking to people. And yeah, I mean, writing your own resume, I think the biggest tips are just, what have you accomplished? Like, give me something measurable. Put stories in your resume through statistics or numbers or any kind of thing that's quantifiable if you can. I mean, that's the biggest tip because people want to know, okay, can you, have you, like in my role, I'm like, okay, have you used these types of platforms? Have you managed this size budgets? Have you managed this many people? Okay. Like a lot of it can be very quantifiable. So I think just trying to write your own resume. And then if you really feel like you're not getting anywhere, once you talk, if you're talking to a recruiter or I mean, maybe talk to your friends after you feel like you're not really finding success. And we kind of talked about this at the top, but what's wrong? Like, why are you not finding success? Is it your resume is not written correctly? Okay, then maybe I've never hired a resume writer. I don't, I'm not a great resume writer. I'm not sure how much I would say hire a resume writer. I think that's like kind of a blanket statement. Like if you're trying to get a very specific job, maybe at an executive level, maybe you would do that. But I think if you're in the first five, 10 years of your career, you probably don't need that. Like probably just think about what you've done. Do like a quarterly check-in with yourself. Okay, what big projects did I achieve? Let me update my resume. I think a lot of this stuff on the job search, you can do this work ahead of time, like lay the groundwork. And that way, if you are in a layoff that's unexpected or you know, you do have a culture change or a manager change or something that you originally loved about your job is gone. Now, at least you have all these things to fall back on. But in terms of resources, I think the best resource is you. You know yourself. You know what you've accomplished. You can pay for resources, I guess. I mean, there's plenty out there, but I think you have to trust yourself and try to do it yourself first. And then if you feel like, man, you're really not hitting the mark, then maybe pursue some sort of external resource. Awesome. So if we were to break this down, the first thing is to really sit down and ask yourself those questions about what did I like about my job? What was missing? And what do I want in my next one? You really dig into who you are, what your skills are, how they help companies. Then you build your materials around that, but also in conjunction with networking and getting these conversations with real people who are in these jobs so that you can inform the language you're using in a positive way. And then we get you know, maybe we do get that interview. Maybe we get in there and we ask these questions and, and tell these stories in a way that's not rambly and in a way that's curious and excited and all that good stuff. And we go through this whole thing. And now 
we're waiting. Now we're just waiting to hear back from the recruiter. We're waiting to hear back from the hiring team. And we start to freak out because it's been three days and three days to a job seeker feels like an eternity, but to a recruiter feels like a, a minute. <laughs> um, how do we maintain our patience and keep in touch in a way that doesn't come off as desperate? Right. I'm glad you used the word desperate because you know how I feel about that. <laughs> um, first, <laughs> first thing, I think if you have the interview secured and you talk to someone, I think if you didn't close it out with what are the next steps, that's on you. Um, you need to say, hey, this has been, a, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Um, what can I, what are the next steps here? And then that's when the recruiter can say, oh, you know, well, the hiring team's out for the next two weeks, or hopefully we'll have a, we'll have an understanding of our budget by Q1 or or, hey, I'll call you by Wednesday. You'll get a sense. So you should know that, I think. But then if they say you'll hear by Wednesday and then it's Thursday, Friday, you're like, okay, what am I doing? Then I would follow up. I think it's okay. And you can say, hey, Jenna, I really enjoyed our conversation. I'm very interested in this position. I think I could add a lot of value by XYZ, which we talked about. And I I know you said that you'd have some updates by Wednesday. Wanted to see if anything has moved since we spoke or something. You know, you could say something like that. Yeah. Because you're, it's important to do the follow-ups because you're reiterating your interest and you are re-explaining and remembering to someone, reminding someone, oh, okay, that's right. That person did have a really good skill set because they had this, this, and this. Oh, yeah. Shoot, I do need to follow up about this. I mean, honestly, it can be anything. I think that's what people don't realize. If there's a delay in the search, it could be because we forgot. It could be the role got closed. It could be we hired someone internally. It could be we had to change the scope and had to go lower or higher on the level. It could be we had to prioritize other roles and that one's not getting filled. I mean, it has most of the time, it has nothing to do with the persons, which is why we didn't follow up. So I think if people can stop internalizing this imagined rejection in those cases, because we haven't, they haven't been rejected yet. They just are hope they're just waiting and hoping they don't get rejected. But I think just remember, it's probably not something you did unless you really messed up your interview and then probably, but I think you can make that right by sending a thank you note and clearing it up. I mean, if you, I have messed up interviews as an interviewer, like when I interviewed for jobs, I, I walked out, I'm like, I didn't get that job. And that's why I can tell you I'm an expert because I have lived these mistakes and I know what it's like to be a bad interviewer and like try to improve. And so I think with a thank you note though, if you feel like you had a bad interview or if you feel like, oh, I could have answered that question so much better, write a thank you note and clear it up. And you can say, you know, Mark, it was so great talking to you on Thursday about this marketing manager position. When you asked me about my experience with email marketing, I mentioned I only had one platform, but actually I've worked in a couple different ones. For the last three years, I worked in this one and we were able to increase an open rate from four to 6%. I don't know. I just made that up. I don't know if that's true, but you can give yourself, you know, make it right. Give yourself kind of a second chance. We interrupt today's episode to let you know about Career Therapy's Unstuck Coaching Program. If you're feeling paralyzed by job search procrastination and unsure of what to do next in your career, we're here to help. Each month as a member, you will get access to two one-on-one -on -one coaching calls, unlimited virtual chat with your coach via Slack, invitations to bi-weekly group coaching sessions, and lifetime access to our eight-part job search curriculum. Want to take your search to the next level? Head over to careertherapy.com and schedule a free 15-minute consultation to chat with me today and see if coaching is right for you.
Now back to our show. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that is like that last ditch effort that people are they're like, nope, I just lost it. I'll never get it again. It's like, no, there is a way to bounce back here potentially. Um, or it's yeah. like that role didn't exactly apply to me. So I guess I can't get a job. There might be another one. They might adjust the role for you. They might create a role for you. There's so many different ways it could yeah. go. And then also to what you said about um, not hearing back by the Wednesday, I always try and manage people's expectations of like, if they say Friday, expect the next Friday, <laughs> like at least just manage your, your uh, anxiety levels in the meantime. Um, I know we're getting close to time here, but I'd love to just end on this, uh, this other, this final question here of people. When I talk to them about their recruiter experiences, let's say they didn't get the job for whatever reason. And you've already talked about the the just not having heard back yet and the imagined rejection. But, you know, I'll mm -hmm. see people who get really frustrated and maybe even send off like a mean email saying, well, you need to tell me why. And then the recruiter is kind and they do say why. And then the person fights the recruiter on why. And it's like, what is going on? Where Where is this going to go? Where do you expect this to end? And so yeah. what is your perspective on recruiters giving feedback? What times do they give feedback? What times don't they? And what are you know, what's the mentality behind feedback in your mind as a recruiter? Well, I think, and some people might be up in arms about what I'm going to say. So I think if you had an interview, you deserve some sort of information. I think if you just applied for a job, I don't know that anyone, I don't expect anyone to get back to you because I have 300 people a day sometimes apply and sometimes they're totally not right. They don't have any experience in what we're looking for. And I just can't go down a rabbit hole and say, no, you didn't get this job because that's what's going to happen. They're going to respond. But why not? It's like, oh, okay, well, do you have this platform experience? No, but I can learn. Okay, well, there's 50 other people who do have that. I have to go with them. I have to. So that's one thing I think with feedback. I think you only really feel entitled to a, to an inter to an interview feedback if you've had an interview. And sometimes the feedback's hard. And sometimes recruiters don't give it because the hiring team doesn't. And I think it's important to remember, don't shoot the messenger, don't blame the messenger, because a lot, I mean, it's not my fault they didn't get the job. I sent them to the job. I endorsed them for the role. If they didn't, and then maybe they interviewed well, maybe they didn't. But bottom line, if they're interviewing for an executive role or any role, the hiring manager is ultimately responsible for the success of hiring this person. So if they didn't think that they were right, I mean, that's not my fault. I'm sorry that that happened. And maybe there's another way we could find a role for them. But uh, sometimes I don't have feedback because I just didn't get any feedback or they have like, you know what, we just like this other person better. Like they had a better skill set or sometimes the feedback's just really general. They fit, a, they weren't a culture fit. Like, what can I do with that? It's hard for me to take that feedback. So a lot of times I'll push on the hiring team and say, hey, why do we not want to move forward with this person? And a lot of times it is, oh, okay, this person had more experience or we needed, we were down the, the depths of the search. We're on the two yard line. We have two candidates, both are amazing. We realize it's more important to have someone with revenue experience instead of just marketing experience. So we hire this like marketing and sales hybrid person, but there's nothing wrong with this other candidate. It's just, they weren't specifically right for the need that we had that day. And a lot of times when, when you work at a big company, you could say, man, we're gonna have other executive roles, I'm sure. And this person was amazing. I would love to endorse them across the network to my other recruiter friends or our other executives on different teams, or maybe the same team in a couple, like a year or six months and see if the needs change. It totally happens. And I think the way that candidates can receive feedback or reiterate their interest in the company 
that goes a long way. I think people really, like I had this candidate and he was amazing. And I mean, maybe it's like a silver medalist type of situation. Like, man, we had this person who was just, I mean, undeniable. We had to hire them, you know, but then you have these great candidates. That doesn't mean that you aren't a great candidate. And I think people tie their job and their success in the job search to their identity. And if you do that, I mean, you're kind of putting your, the way you feel about yourself into what's external rather than how you feel about yourself. So maybe we're getting into a therapy here, Martin. I don't know, but yeah, but I think it's a combo of, can I really give the feedback? If I don't get it? No. If I do, I'll try to be as specific as possible, especially, you know, for a great candidate and people who were great through the process. I mean, if somebody interviews with us three times, they deserve to hear either way. That's like Mm -hmm. not fair, you know? So I really do try and, I, I also like to keep in touch with people that I that have interviewed and have gone through the process. You know, one thing really quick, we had a candidate, when you're talking about follow-ups, we had a candidate and our budget for the role was on hold until a certain amount of time. And we loved him. We wanted to hire him, but we just couldn't do it until a certain date. But we didn't know when that was because it was kept getting pushed. And this was a sales job. And he kept following up. I'm like, okay, I hopefully will know next week. Follows up next week. Okay, I'll hope next week. And he stuck with us. And he was a salesperson. So I'm like, okay, this guy for a sales role, he's so persistent. I, I liked him. It made me like him even more after the interviews were done because of the way he followed up and because of the nature of the role too. So I think it's a combination of doing your best as a recruiter to be transparent in delivering the feedback. And I think trying to give constructive feedback too, because it's not necessarily that they were bad. It's just not what we were looking for at the time. And then I think as a candidate to not wrap yourself up in that, Remember that it probably wasn't your fault. I mean, unless you totally blew it, it wasn't your fault, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's tough for people because they didn't do that work you on know? the front end and they're feeling yeah. self-conscious and impostery already. So any kind of negative bit is going to set them off. And, you know, I agree. We got to separate our self-worth. And actually, if you have time for one more, um, sure. when it comes to the salary negotiation, any quick tips? Oh, yes. So glad we opened this can of worms. I think people <laughs> want to hear a lot about this. So first of all, the laws are changing and we have to list salary ranges for certain states. It's changed. I think Connecticut, Nevada, I think New York is coming if it hasn't already. And depending on when this airs, there could be even more states um, that change the laws. So basically every job description that you have, if anyone could apply and get that job, in that state. So if it's a fully remote job, in theory, someone from Connecticut or Nevada could get this job. So if it's a remote job, you have to list the salary ranges in your job description. So hopefully that would be enough right there to help people with their salary negotiations. Because if you see that and you're like, okay, I'm way above that or I'm way below, maybe that would make you not want to apply for that job. So that's the first thing. But I think when you are in the interview, when someone asks you, you do not have to tell people what your current salary is. That is not legal for someone to ask you that. So first of all, but if someone asks you that and says, Hey, what are you looking for in this role? Or how much are you making? You can say, Oh, um, well, what is the compensation range for the role? And then make them tell you first. And then you can decide if that's something you're excited about. And then you can say, okay, okay. Let's say the the salary range is 80 to hundred for this position. Okay. Well, you know, I'm at, I'm at 105. You think we could go a little bit above that? So then it's like, then you can get really into it. I mean, if you're not really at 105, don't be like that. Because at some point, I think it's hard with you if you want, I mean, everyone wants more money, okay? 
But I think if you ask for too much and you really are, you know, getting to that overpaid range for your job, it's going to be hard for you later to get a raise. It's going to be hard for you later to find a job because you're going to be too overpaid for what the job is. So I think it's better to understand what the ranges are and see if that's satisfactory to you. Understand what are the opportunities for growth? How regularly do they revisit salaries with performance reviews or merit increases? And then that can kind of help you understand, okay, do I, would I be excited in this job? Maybe if not immediately, when would I be more excited? Are there any situations in which someone should not try to negotiate salary? I think when there's not a lot of wiggle room, I think that's it. I mean, a lot of times at agencies, there's less wiggle room than an in-house position. So I think if they say, hey, 75 to 80 is the range, take it or I mean, kind of take it or leave it sometimes. I think, yeah, I don't think you can negotiate. But there are, gosh, I read an article and it was like, there's 68 things you can negotiate, probably more. So if it's not salary, maybe if you're like, man, we're like so close on the salary, but maybe there's other things that you can negotiate, like a sign-on bonus, or maybe more vacation days, or if they want you in the office three days, maybe you can say, I'll come two days, or gosh, anything. Education like, stipend. There's all sorts of things, yeah. Anything, yeah. So if you're not exactly super excited about the compensation, try other things. And that's when you get to, why am I looking for a job? What do I really need? Because when you get to this, I keep saying like the two-yard line, I think of it that way. When you're about to sign on the dotted line or before they make an offer, why... Like what else could I get to get me to the end zone, I guess, to the, to carry out the, I metaphor. love it. I love it. And I know we're, we're at time here. So uh, where can folks find your work, engage in what you're doing and follow along? Uh, please let us know, you know, what you've got going on. Yeah. So I, the best place to find me is LinkedIn. So my name is Jenna Kimball. I wrote a book called interview like a pro how to stop the self-sabotage and get the job you deserve. I actually have it right there. Nice. There. You can see it. Hey, there it is. Yeah. Hey. It's, it's available on Amazon. So if you want to get it, it's hard copy or you can get the Kindle version if you're an e-reader. So I love all physical books, but I know people like the e the e-reading. So I know it sounds so old when I say it that way. But yeah, I would say LinkedIn. You can go to jennakimble.com or you can go to Amazon directly and get the book. And yeah, just reach out anytime. I love talking about interviewing and I really, I really am rooting for people. And for those of you listening, if you are discouraged in your job search and you do feel like, oh, I just want a one and done interview. Remember, this is your life. You are going to spend so much time with these people and so much time of your time in this job. Take, take care, like make sure it's what you want, because if you don't like the job search so much, maybe you find the right thing and you don't have to look for a while. So save yourself some time up front. You'll be happier later. It's a perfect place to end. Jenna, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and uh, everyone go check out her stuff. All the links are in the description. Thank you so much for having me. I really loved our conversation. You, you just really delivered on those good questions, Martin. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you found this conversation to be helpful, please like and subscribe wherever you are listening. We also appreciate it if you take the time to leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help us spread the word and get these ideas out to more job seekers looking to build their careers and improve their lives just like you. If you'd like to learn more about career therapy and see our different coaching options, you can head over to careertherapy.com to learn more. 
Thank you again for stopping by. We wish you all the best in the future of your career. Have a good one.